my destination is still the same no matter what the product is. I do want to change healthcare. So I think that in terms of the mission, I think that that will always be my mission. On this episode, I talked with Charlene Platten. She's a registered nurse and she's in a leadership position at Stanford Healthcare, which includes Stanford Hospital. She's now launched a startup on the side called Fifth Window. It's a digital platform with a mission of revolutionizing the well-being of nurses worldwide. She's also a former student of mine and one of the smartest people I know. I'm Brett Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, immersed in the world of entrepreneurship, innovation, and venture capital. I run a startup accelerator program named Fourthly. This is the Fourthly Podcast. Hey, Charlene. Hey, Brett. Thank you for having me. Bet. So where are you, where are you joining from today? I'm joining from the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically yeah. Palo Alto. Palo Alto, California. Yeah. The heart of Silicon Valley. The heart. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we could start by just having you introduce yourself and your own uh, professional history. Sure. So I'm Charlene Platon. I am CEO and co-founder of Fifth Window, and I am a registered nurse and family nurse practitioner by background. I actually come from a family of nurses, so nursing has always been a huge part of my life. I've had multiple nursing positions from the inpatient side, so the hospital setting, to the outpatient side or the clinic setting. And I currently work in healthcare leadership as a director of ambulatory nursing at Stanford Healthcare. And I was also one of 12 inaugural Johnson & Johnson Nurse Innovation Fellows. And that really helped to influence my decision to pursue entrepreneurship and start Fifth Window. Nice. My, my mom was an RN, so I have, I have special fondness for nurses. So um, great. So now tell us about Fifth Window. What's that all about? Yeah, and my mom is also a nurse, Brett, so I, <laughs> <laughs> and my twin sister. So I definitely, wow, you got a definitely lot. You got a that. lot of nurses in your family. Oh, there's many more. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as Fifth Window, Fifth Window goes, Fifth Window is a nurse-led and women-led startup, and we are really redefining what well-being looks like for nurses and healthcare workers. And we've built an app that serves as a hub for accessible wellness tools that are created by us as nurses and built for nurses. And we've created a nursing community that can support each other and really help to start these conversations on the topics of well-being. And so we are a team of nurses and we actually met during a virtual hackathon a few years ago, early during the pandemic. So we've continued on in this journey and it's been really amazing to see the support for nurses right now in terms of their well-being. But that is Fifth Window. Nice. And where where did the where did the idea originally come from? Yeah, so several places actually. I think that during this hackathon, we joined the 2020 COVID-19 virtual hackathon which was hosted by Nurse Hack for Health and that was sponsored by Johnson and Johnson and Microsoft. So our team was actually originally a team of 10 nurses and technical experts and during that hackathon we created an idea for essentially this wellness hub, which would have a lot of these uh, resources for nurses and healthcare workers. And that was really the early idea that is now, what is now Fifth Window. And uh, another um, reason for this idea was because of my own personal experience. So, you know, early in the pandemic, I actually had some pretty severe panic attacks and that really took a toll on my ability to work and on my 
own health and well-being. So okay. it actually took me hours to find the tools that I needed to support my own well-being and wanting to make that process easier for other nurses and healthcare workers inspired this idea as well. So wanting to create a, t- a tool where nurses don't have to spend hours researching and finding these tools and they could have it all in one place. So so give us an example use case. So, you know, I'm a nurse, some hospital or other setting. What would cause me to be looking for a solution like this? And then what would I, how would I use it? Yeah, there's different ways that you can use it. And you could actually use it if you're a nurse whose um, first case would be if you're a nurse who's just looking to include wellness into your regular routine. So just like what I do right now, if you have a set time and place, let's say you have a morning ritual that you like to do before you go into your work or start your shift, you could use Fifth Window to select a self-care practice that we have created and you could use that to start your day and then you could um, continue to use it we actually have a notification that helps to encourage you to do a daily check-in and um and that's another use case actually if you want to have a uh that daily check-in notification you can be matched with a self-care activity just based on what it is that you enter in the check-in so so a few um, different use cases there but if you're also just feeling stressed in the moment, you could also access one of our practices to help with managing that as well. Do I like use the app a couple times and then I'm fixed? <laughs> you know, we <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, I wish it were that easy. <laughs> but one thing that we have learned, you know, in healthcare is that we don't do a great job with promoting wellness in general when we're training our healthcare workers or when we are just going through our education. So uh, a lot of what we're doing is really trying to ingrain this um, thought of prioritizing yourself as much as you prioritize others. A lot of the times, especially for nurses, you prioritize others before yourself and that's really been impacting us in our practice. Um, So many nurses are burnt out and so by ingraining this, especially as a tool that's really developed by nurses, we're hoping to speak more to our audience and um, having them know that wellness can be a part of their regular practice yeah. without being stigmatized. Because that's that's a really huge concern that we've had is um, because of our culture of medicine, it's really hard to actually engage in those practices right. and uh, learn more about that and then being vulnerable um, and open about that. Right, right. It's kind of ironic that... Um Nurses and physicians who are, you know, highly trained healthcare professionals, uh, you know, there's a very high burnout rate, a high percentage of um, uh, stress, of substance abuse, of all kinds of things, because they're difficult professions. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of nurses work twelve-hour shifts. Actually, a lot of nurses, their regular shift is a twelve, right? So, so if they're if they're if they're working in EOT, they might be doing 14 hour shifts. Um, so it's a difficult profession. And so, as I said, there's, there's some irony in the fact that, that nurses are highly trained healthcare professionals, and yet often, you know, their own health can go neglected. Yeah, exactly. There's, there are, the numbers are pretty staggering in terms of how much, how little we take care of ourselves. And I think that. Uh, a lot of that also shows in some recent numbers. Um, I actually saw in articles just this month, um, a survey was just released that 
says that up to 75% of healthcare workers are predicted to leave the profession by 2025. Yeah. And other other um, articles saying that about 100,000 registered nurses in the United States have left the workplace due to the stresses of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's a lot there, though, to unpack. But but overall, to, to your point earlier, wellness is really an ongoing practice. And we're trying to have um, all of these other areas of wellness be prioritized just as much as physical wellness, since we know that that's something that people don't really question. But when it comes to the other domains of wellness, that's something that we're trying to target. So walk us through your entrepreneurial journey on this project a little bit. So you mentioned that you, like like many great founders, it began when you noticed a problem we're solving and personally experienced it. And then you uh, did this hackathon with some other um some other nurses and created the app and then kind of walk us through what happened from there. Yeah. So a lot happened from there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we're still figuring out our journey as we speak, but from the very beginning, it was really clear that during the hackathon, the nurses that I joined this team with originally back in 2020, we were all very passionate about wanting to support our colleagues and our friends and our family, all of these people that we know to be in the nursing and healthcare profession. And so we were really passionate. And so after the hackathon ended, we made the decision to continue this work. I know that after hackathons, a lot of people may not choose to continue on their idea, but we really wanted- Most, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know their stats. Maybe it's like, I know it's a lot. And so we decided to continue because we knew that the COVID-19 pandemic was only accelerating a problem that has existed for decades, and that is burnout and um, really not paying enough attention to the well-being of our healthcare workers. And so we, uh, among our team, we had determined who within the team wanted to continue working on this um, on this. Um, goal and on this mission. So myself and two other nurses from the original hackathon team are still, um, we are three of our founders. And then um, we have, a, we added an additional founder to our team who is our software developer. And so there's four of us now. Uh-huh. So, um, so even just determining who would be our co-founders was a journey. Yeah. And then we went on to, you know, we went on to do um, beta testing. We went on to do customer interviews. We went on to incorporate our company and then just try to find as many resources as possible um, that we could utilize. But also with the unique challenges because we all are founders, but we all are working mm-hmm. um, in other positions full time. So right. a lot it's of a this side, work... It's a side gate <laughs> for all of you, right? Right. And yeah. we you know, we hope that will change into, you know, the goal for full time. And, um, but it is challenging. So, so I think that's part of the the challenge, but we've been, but in this time too, we've been building our community. We've been having monthly spotlight events where we feature other nurses and build our community. And, uh, and then we officially launched our app in February, 2022. So just about a year ago. And so since then we've been continuing to, uh, continuing to obtain feedback from nurses and then just looking to build partnerships with um, groups that 
well, you know, that we could work with. So we've actually built several wellness partners um, that's that offers resources that you can access within our app. Um, but we are we also have built partnerships with several groups to do pilot studies. So we have a, a pilot study going on right now um, to validate more of the effectiveness of our app um, as it's being utilized among other nurses, and then. Um, and then just using all that feedback and all that data to further build our product. So I want to hear about the the, the customer interviews because, um, as you know, um, you know one of the keys to developing a successful product today is to have product development informed by actual, you know, input from customers, right? Um, and yet. You know, customer interviews are often done poorly. Um, and in particular, a lot of people think that customer interviews means calling people up and saying, you know, Hey, I have this awesome idea. What do you think? And everybody's always going to say, wow, that's really a great idea. Uh, but you didn't really learn anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell us about your customer development process and kind of how you conducted that and, and what insights you might have gotten out of that process. Yeah. So we were fortunate since three of us are nurses, we have a pretty wide network of colleagues and friends and family who we could tap into to conduct our customer interviews. So we largely used our direct network and then um, and then folks outside of our, uh, you know, immediate social circle to interview and to ask for their feedback. So what we did, especially since this was really early on during the pandemic, we asked them questions a lot about their challenges. So we really just wanted to know in general when it comes to your well-being uh, when it comes to your well-being what are the main challenges that you're facing at this moment. And we left it pretty broad just so we could understand a little bit more a little bit more in terms of what what they consider to be their challenges. We wanted to, you know, wait a little bit before narrowing down in terms of of the interviews. But we asked um, we asked people from all over the country. We asked people from various different healthcare settings and both inpatient and outpatient. And then we put all of this information together to see what patterns had emerged. And interestingly, a lot of them early on in the pandemic had mentioned that isolation was one of the top challenges that they were facing. And that's why the community aspect was such a big part of what we built with Fifth Window and what we continue to work on and enhance. Um, And then there was just no question that there was a lot of stress. And it's interesting because the stress came from so many different places. So so that's what we found. Um, And then we also found that a lot of nurses were not utilizing any resources currently to support their well-being. So that was another interesting finding. I think that a lot of the times it's hard to actually find those resources, just like my own experience. And I totally get that. So it it was a little surprising, but also not surprising that a lot of them didn't haven't used an app before for actually addressing these um, challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just a little bit about our journey with the with the customer interviews. It was was there any kind of point along that journey where there was some insight that was incredibly important? I think that you know it it was interesting. There were a few things that we found and. One thing that we found was when we ans- when we asked these questions of nurses in some parts of the country that might be more open to wellness, just culturally, we had more 
we we had nurses that were more open to talking about wellness. But then when we ask these questions of nurses in other locations where maybe their culture is not as open about wellness, we, we received very different answers and had um, some nurses that were actually defensive about talking about wellness. So kind of interesting. We had different responses. Um, so for example, in California, I you could kind of probably anticipate that a lot of nurses would be more open to talking about wellness. And that's where we actually received a lot more people who were open to mm-hmm. talking about, you know, what they've used. Because one of our questions was, what resources do you currently use? And and the nurses from the West Coast had actually mentioned, you know, I've used therapy, I've oh, used right. these apps. But oh, then yeah. But then when we asked other um, nurses from the East Coast, they they would say that they support their wellness by more physical wellness. So I go hiking, I talk to friends. And so that was very interesting. I didn't really consider the cultural components of where the nurses are from. Right. And the cultures of their current um, organizations. That's also very in- influential because yeah. some nurses had hospitals that had no resources versus others with some resources. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a super interesting insight. Yeah, yeah. Fifth window. Window. Is there a story about the name? Yeah. So the name is actually another journey. We we had actually um, our first name was actually from the hackathon. We had to change because there was another company that had a very similar name as no. that, <laughs> and it was a whole. It was a very challenging ordeal, but then. We went through hundreds of other names, maybe mm-hmm. even thousands. To, to, <laughs> it just felt like naming it was a is lot. hard. Naming is hard. Yeah. Naming is hard. There, yeah. there could be you could do a whole episode about naming. <laughs> and um, but we were able to find Fifth Window, and Fifth Window actually represents multiple dimensions of well-being. So more than just mental well-being, we also uh, aim for physical well-being, emotional well-being, professional well-being, and then organizational well-being. And then, um, you know, and when you consider Fifth Window, we really are trying to encompass everything um, in a holistic sense for what makes up well-being for a nurse or a healthcare worker. So all these different domains that would be um, in particular what relevant to the well-being of a nurse or healthcare worker. Very nice. So you mentioned that um, it's that, that fifth window is women led and nurse led, uh, but you know men can be nurses too now. <laughs> they can. <laughs> they certainly can. <laughs> it's actually one of the biggest, as you can imagine, is one of the biggest changes during uh, during my mom's career. Is that when, oh, yeah, yeah. when she when she started out as a nurse, it was a profession that was you know ninety nine point nine percent women, uh, right? And that that changed pretty dramatically during her time um and she spent most mm-hmm. of her she spent most of her career actually in, nurse, in nursing education and so she was very very proud of the uh, of the gender diversity that uh, that eventually developed in a profession that once had no gender diversity right yeah exactly there's been a lot of um changes and um, nursing looks a lot differently now than it yeah. did too when my mom was in nursing yeah. oh, actually my mom is still a nurse <laughs> she's still an icu nurse but it has evolved a lot over the last few decades and continues to evolve, um, including more representation from men in nursing. So, so that's been really great to see, and and also in general more diversity. That's right. A lot. That's right. A lot of ethnic diversity too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's um, what's next for Fifth Window? So I guess first of all, where is it at right now? You know, what's the 
what's the current status of the venture? Are we just, do we have users just in the US or do we have them international as well? Yeah, we have, right now we have users just based in the United States. It's always been our goal to expand internationally. Um, early on, we actually saw on our website that we would have visits from, uh, from or hits from visitors representing over 50 countries around the world, right. which was interesting because it really spoke to us. And people had reached out specifically from other countries asking if this uh, type of tool would be available. And that's something that we we still aren't quite there, but we do want to explore and uh, and reach as many nurses as possible because we know that a lot of these challenges that we face are not specific to the United States. Um, and so what's what? So our current state is, you know, now that we've had our app um, that's been launched and it's been out for about a year, um, we are still waiting to hear back from uh, the pilot studies that we are partnering with just to obtain mm -hmm. more data because we what really matters to us is to build something that is that really considers the feedback of nurses. And part of that is because a lot of the tools that you see right now in the hospitals are built without nurses at the decision-making table. So we yeah. want to build something that's, that really speaks to them and that they could utilize. Right. Um, and so we are still looking to uh, obtain funding to go further with our app because right now as it stands, it's really, you know, the direct-to-consumer or B2C model, but we really want to reach a B2B platform and have, yeah. um, you know, partner with hospitals to work with us so we could reach more nurses um, at once. Um, so continuing to build our business model is something that we're looking at. Um, I'm looking into that right now. And then, um, and then um, as we find more opportunities to secure funding, then we could use that really to enhance our software development and then take it to that next level with the B2B. And is there monetization now? Is this something people pay for? Right now, not currently. Okay. So um, so we're still pre-revenue and mm -hmm. we thought about some different ways to monetize, but mm -hmm. we've, we've wanted to create, well, first we wanted to create a a free resource for nurses just because we knew that there was a huge need. Right. Um, and so just using that data has been helpful. Um, but we're, we're still looking to monetize with, you know, with a subscription model, whether it's from the B2C side or whether it's from the B2B side. So, yeah. so that's something that we're looking into. Yeah. 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 The B2B model makes a lot of sense to me that there are obviously large healthcare systems all over the world who, um, are aware of the fact that they need to provide more support services to, uh, to their nurses. And so, um, you know, that paying to provide this as a resource to all of their nurses makes total sense to me. And, uh, and probably is an easier sell than getting individuals to pay for an individual subscription because that's always a tougher sell. Right. That was actually another thing that we saw in our customer interviews when we asked if you'd be willing to pay for this product. Uh, many of the nurses said, I'd be willing to use it if the hospital paid for it. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the pays for it. <laughs> and, they said, and they said, our hospitals are causing our burnout, so they should pay for our burnout tools. And I said, well, that's completely fair. You know, I completely understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in a perfect world, you would um, you would go raise some outside capital, and with that outside capital, you would uh, build out the software further, and uh, it, it create a uh, a product that could be sold as a um, 
you know, as an enterprise product to healthcare systems across the country and then across the world. Right. That's how we see it because it's it's tough to to come to a hospital when you don't have a polished product. I mean, yeah, selling yeah, yeah. Right. as a as an early stage startup, securing a hospital as a client is very, very challenging. And right now I'm in healthcare leadership and I know that that's that's just a really hard sell. So any any way to work towards that and to you know, um, get, that's why we're working so hard to gather the data and have this, um, these outcomes shown in research because that's, that's what we're really looking for or that's what healthcare leaders are really looking for. Yeah. What have you learned so far that you would pass along to, to other founders or people who are thinking about becoming startup founders? What have you learned so far that'd be worth passing along? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. There are a lot of life skills that you gain from being an entrepreneur that you wouldn't expect. You learn about communication, you learn about prioritization, about time management, but then you also you also have a lot of inner strength that you develop. I feel like you it's probably one of the hardest things that I've ever tried to pursue and yeah. and um actually one of the hardest things about it is not giving up. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So sometimes, sometimes I feel like, you know, because my, my current job can be so demanding too. So just trying to, just trying to balance it all has been pretty hard. And so I think a lot of people quit too early. And I, I think part of that too is because people want to see immediate results, myself included. And I think when, when you're not able to go all in yet at the beginning, it'll be it might take a little longer to see those results more quickly. So I I've really learned uh, not to give up because you know if you do stop, that's the 100% way to guarantee failure in your venture is if yeah. you stop. And it's just been really it's just been a great learning process because you know I I think as much as you could connect it to your vision and your mission. I mean, my mission ultimately is to transform healthcare culture because right now our culture really does not support our nurses in the way that we should be uh, we should be supported. And I think about that a lot, and I think about my own experiences and how that removes people from the profession. So thinking about my why has been a huge reason why I haven't quit, but also having my team has been a, a huge part of that. So I would say for entrepreneurs who are interested, it will be a long, it'll be a challenging road, but quitting is the 100% way to guarantee failure. So I I think one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur today is there's this, there's this, um, there's this dichotomy in our head because on one hand, the, the mythology of a great startup founder, the mythology of a great entrepreneur is somebody who who sticks to their vision no matter what, right? That grit and tenacity. And even though the world is telling them they're stupid, they believe in themselves and they believe in their vision, right? That's that's the mythology. On the other hand, the startup methodology that is taught today is all about fail fast. It's all about rapid iterations and pivot. You know, if it ain't working, then pivot. Um, you know, fail fast. And so you know how do how do how do you how do you reconcile those two things, right? How do you reconcile the fact that on one hand you're, you know, one is it angel standing on one of your shoulders saying, you know, stick to your vision no matter what, and then you know somebody on the other shoulder 
saying, fail fast. That's how it's done these days. Fail fast. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, so do you have any thoughts on how, you know, how one walks that line? You know, are there, you must have seen signs along the way that made you feel as if, you know, this is worth sticking with. Yeah. And that's a great question. That is something I think about a lot because that's, it's a, it's an interesting balance. The one thing that I will say that when I think of myself and my core values and my personal mission, just as a professional and and just personally, I do want to really change the culture of healthcare and um, kind of transform the way that we think about well-being in general, just from all these different things I've experienced. And so my destination is still the same, no matter what the product is, I do want to change healthcare. So I think that in terms of the mission, I think that that will always be my mission. In terms of failing fast and pivoting, I think that the product will look differently. um, As long as we're working towards that vision and wanting to really make a, a big impact, that's something that I could continue working towards. And you know, we're not married to our current idea. It could look differently. And we're really open to pivoting based on what we receive and the feedback that we get yeah. and how quickly we can we can go from there. Uh, we, we all are on board with our mission, though, and helping nurses and healthcare workers. And so I feel like that's how we've been able to balance the two. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, that goal itself is also... <laughs> is also quite a big goal. So, um, so I think just working towards it in, in little kind of smaller ways has been a way that we've been able to target. Cause by looking at all those different areas of well-being, we've been able to, right now we're, we're looking at mental well-being, but we also want to tackle those other, um, parts of it. Cause we know that they're all important. So, yeah. so I'd say it's been a balance, but it's, it's a good question. <laughs> well, and, and without my prompting you, you actually gave exactly the answer that I, uh, that I preach, which is that um, it all begins with identifying a problem we're solving, right? And then that becomes your North Star. And you're willing to pivot as often as you need to with regard to how to solve the problem. But the thing that you stick to no matter what is the North Star mission of solving a particular problem. So that's exactly the framework that I give my students in terms of a way to think about this question of um what do you what what do you what what do you approach with perseverance and tenacity and what are you willing to you know pivot on that a framework is to have the have the 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 mission the problem to be solved be your north star but be willing to pivot as often as possible with regard to the solution to solving that problem Right. I And I really like that model. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because before I had joined a an entrepreneurship class where we talked a lot about the why and one person who was in that um, course had said, I don't have a why. I don't understand why the why is important. Mm-hmm. And everyone... <laughs> was really saying like, no, the why is extremely important. I just, that just never, I just thought that was so interesting because everyone was saying like, no, you really have to have a why. And, you know, being on this journey now, I understand because it's a really long road. And if you don't have something that you feel really deeply about just to carry you through all those difficult moments, it'll be that much harder to go forward. But um, but yeah, something that really speaks to your core will, you know, be easier to to think about when you have those hard moments. But 
But it's an interesting discussion, too, because maybe, you know, maybe some people don't feel like you really need that, that lofty kind of mission to work towards. But I do think it makes it easier. Yeah, agreed. So, Charlene, last question for you. So, I'm kind of interested in the whole topic of the habits of high achievers. You know, what what makes some people really good at achieving whatever whatever it is they set out to do. Um, and partly it's, you know, I'm interested in it myself because all of us want to get more done and be better at uh, achieving whatever it is we set out to achieve. But then also because, you know, my work with regard to startups and the and the, the various factors that tend to drive success or failure of a startup, I mean, a lot of it has to do with just whether the founder is good at getting shit done, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's a pretty big factor. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you're, you know, you're, you're a high achiever, Charlene. You, um, you know, you, you got your baccalaureate degree, nursing, you got mass master's degree from UC Irvine. You became a Johnson and Johnson innovation fellow. And now you're, uh, you're director of ambulatory nursing. You're in a leadership position at one of the most respected healthcare uh, institutions in the world. Uh, so I'd say you're a high achiever. And now you've layered onto that the idea that you're launching a startup on the side while you're doing all these other things. So um, what do you think? What do you think high achievers have? What are what are the what are the habits that you think high achievers have that the rest of us can learn from? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I think about a lot, actually, because I do as as someone who does. I you know, it's funny because I don't. I still have trouble with identifying myself as a high achiever because I always <laughs> want to achieve more. Sure, but that's another podcast episode. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but in terms of habits, because I do want to be efficient with my time um, and um, wanting to get more done in you know a certain timeline. Uh, something that I do see that high achievers utilize is systems. So they have really good ways to keep systems in place to give them the best advantage or the best possible opportunity to get work done as much as possible. So building it into their work, into their daily routine, uh, you know, making it as easy as possible to work on their startup or to achieve their goals. Having those systems in place are really, really important. Just to, just like, you know, just like automating anything. It's just like they automate these processes so that they can more easily get work done. So that might be having like an assistant or that might be like having something prepared, like their food prepared for them so they don't have to do that. So, yeah. you know, or just like simple things like already setting out the clothes that they want to wear ahead of the day before so they don't have yeah. to make that decision like mm-hmm. the morning of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think building systems is a really key piece of of high achievers. And then another thing too is, is just breaking things down into smaller chunks because mm-hmm. a lot of the high achievers have big goals, but they break it down into small chunks. And one thing that's been really um, helpful for me is just thinking about it just one day at a time. So I only, I think of achieving everything in much smaller groups. So I'll do, uh, and this worked actually for my meditation and for my wellness practices. I only do a few minutes a, at a time until I feel more comfortable to increase that time load and and that it becomes really routine and that my body's adapted and then I could increase my efficiency and my workload. So building something from really small chunks, like, you know, like working on the startup, like five minutes a day, everything accumulates, just doing a little bit every day, it leads to really big impacts. Um, 
And so, you know, those are just a few strategies. There's also, you know, blocking your calendars and um, other kinds of tools that you can use. But those are the the two things I think okay. about a lot is how to make it this a system and how can I just break this down so it doesn't feel so overwhelming as right. someone who, you know, has anxiety and I need to break things down. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my uh, my mom used to say that the way the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and so that's kind of exactly what you just said. Is that you found you find that by breaking big tasks down into small chunks, that it's easier for you. Right. I would also say one other thing is asking for help, <laughs> and that's something that I have had a, a, like historically a hard time with. Just. Yeah. A lot of people have, like a lot of people in healthcare have problems with asking for help because it's, it might show sign of weakness, but it's actually the contrary. Um, so asking for help using all the resources around you, I was really shocked at how much people supported me just because I reached out or just because I was open to their support or what was actually out there. So I would say being really resourceful by looking into that and by not being afraid to ask for help is a really, really big, uh, another big part of being a high achiever and also increasing your network. And, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of good that can come from that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all very wise words. <laughs> Thanks, Charlene. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brett. This has been the Fourthly Podcast. If you have ideas for future episodes or people you think I should interview, send me an email at brett at fourthly.com. And don't forget to rate and share this show. It really helps. Until next time, I'm Brett Waters. Thanks so much for listening.